This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to Plato's Cave. And thank you to Phoebe Squared coming live from the Black Hearts Club at Melbourne International Film Festival, where I have moved through space and time. I was just there with Fee talking about the Janis Joplin film, Little Girl Blue, and now I'm here. Ta-da! It's, it's as if some magical mode of public transport moved me from town to the studios. Ooh. It's the magic of myth. <laughs> the magic of myth. Speaking of the magic of myth, I'm Alex Helen Nicholas. I am here tonight joined with Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood, and Thomas Caldwell, who normally drives this crazy machine we call Plato's Cave, our film criticism program, is immersed in the magical world of myth. Um, behind the desk tonight, we have Nerida, who is looking after things for us. This is a first. This is an all-lady cave. Wow. All-girl all spelunkers. Hubba hubba. Yeah, it's, um, mm. I feel kind it's, of naughty. It's like a slumber party <laughs> here. It's... Where's the pillows? <laughs> are we going to are we going to paint each other's nails? We or are something gonna, like that. Well, in in a way, we're going to talk about a, a, a just a lot of film, which and is a lot of women filmmakers. A lot of women filmmakers. Yeah. A lot of women filmmakers. A lot of women leads mm-hmm. protagonists. This is how we roll in the lady cave. This is how we sure do it. Thing. Before we get moving on that, why don't we have a chat about the opening night film, the gala, which was um, a, a festive event thanks to the sponsor, Grey Goose, and their Le Fizz cocktails series. What were they? The, did you partake in the, the Grey I Goose cocktails? Are you partake. Okay? Are you okay? I, 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 well, that was the first of a few nights. I mean, these things gather momentum, as, as well we know. <laughs> and, and much as one tries very hard only to see films one fails and uh one drinks um, one does one one does and one comes undone <laughs> and unstuck and uh it's best when that happens when one is doing radio for the first time in a few weeks hurrah no i'm fine i'm in good spirits um this is going to go swimmingly <laughs> well yeah. spirits are the operative word gray goose spirit see sponsor sponsor i see how we're doing that <laughs> The film was the opening night gala was the life and death of Otto Bloom. The death world, and life. The, I thought it was the life and death. No, death oh and my life. Gosh, well, that's, that's important. Isn't it, it is. Significant. It is. Mm. Backwards. I see. Yeah, I, I see. see what they did there. Directed by Chris Jones, starring Rachel Ward, Xavier Samuel and Matilda Brown. Series. what did you make of it? Look, as opening night films for Myth go, I, uh, I just uh, quite enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I was in a bit of a minority. It's the dumb thing at opening night to emerge into the party and to join a group where everyone will not so much quibble as just rip apart, tear, tear the opening night yep. film another one. And I, I was in no mood to do that. I was pleasantly engaged. That's uh, a high concept film. One character experiences life in, well, the passage of time during life in reverse. Does that make sense? The film you now toys with all sorts of um, uh, metaphysical concerns. Uh, what would that be like? Would somebody necessarily become a messiah? Well, yes, they would. Um, and then it ended poorly. But uh, look, it was not uh, altogether... Um, uh, a, a great success, but I think it was actually quite an enjoyable opening night film. I had a nice night. I didn't walk away regretting that I'd lost two hours of my life, which I have in some opening night films. Um, you know, like I, I thought it was pleasant. It's basically Zelig Down Under, you know, it's a mockumentary 
um, about an enigmatic, an, an enigmatic figure. Um, and Xavier Samuel plays it beautifully. Like there's real charisma Bowie, there. Actually, and, yeah, yeah, I, I really, really saw nice sort of well cast as a young Bowie. Um, we've had we did. Um, was it a week ago we did the other Xavier Samuel film, Love and Friendship, the yep, that's correct. Stillman film. So yep. I feel very immersed in the world of Xavier mm. Samuel, um, which was which is a nice world to be in. But I know I was the same. I thought it was pleasant. I don't think it's the most perfect film I've ever seen, but I thought it was a nice, fun opening night yeah. film. It doesn't really engage with these metaphysical themes especially profoundly and it doesn't go anywhere near as... Uh, mm, full of pathos and actual, say, real worldliness as, let's say, Slaughterhouse-Five, which I was reminded of watching this because of it's... It's a great point of comparison. Yeah, mm. well, old Billy Pilgrim coming unstuck in time. Yep. Um, I rather love that film, but it has some very serious things to say about the human condition mm-hmm. and it does attach to Vonnegut's own uh, brutal experiences in Dresden way back when. So, yeah, this can't really compare with that. No. It's not going to have that weight, but, yeah, a nice way to start a festival. I thought so too, and the cocktails didn't hurt. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the most um, exciting things for me, I think, about that particular film was seeing Rachel Ward again. I'd forgotten how much I missed her face in film, and this brings us back to the ladies. There's, a, there's some interesting stuff going on for women, both in front of and behind the camera at MIFF this year that I'm finding extraordinarily exciting. I don't even know where to begin. Emma, where do you want to begin? Oh, my God. Where do I want to begin? Um... Okay. Should we start with Kate plays Christine, or is that too? That's too. We'll come back to that. We'll come back yep. to that. <laughs> we'll All right. That we'll one. come back to that. How about? Um, how about the lure? I'm very fond of the lure. <laughs> most alluring. A female director who I will get you to pronounce her name because I could never pronounce uh, Agnish- it. Agnieszka Smoczynska. That, that sounds great. Polish director. Um, how how would you describe it? <laughs> well, um, it has mermaids. Uh, it, there is a certain element of cannibalism in it. It's a musical and it's very camp and kitschy and there's a, a certain uh, gleeful, you know, souffle light, uh, sort of Jacques Demy uh, musical quality to it. Uh, people are bursting into song about the darndest things at the darndest uh, intervals, um, but the music is sort of woven into the narrative. Sometimes it's kind yeah, of key yeah. to what's going on. Um, it is actually part of the narrative. Other times it's just that operating at that one little remove from it. Uh, I had a, a ball with this. I saw this a few weeks ago. I was uh, overseas, but it's very firmly uh, implanted. I mean, there's just some gorgeous, colourful, extremely colourful imagery that's uh, etched quite firmly in my... my uh, What's the thing I have? Uh, the brain. <laughs> brain, <laughs> <Yeah>. memory. <laughs> memory, memory. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a hoot. Uh, and there are mermaids. Who doesn't <laughs> love mermaids? <laughs> Did we not say that there were mermaids? Mermaids with no private bits. Yeah, that was a scene. Yeah, um, yeah, that was quite, mm. that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was quite interesting, right at the start of the movie as well. I, I kind of found that it was um, it was really easy to watch. That mm. might sound strange with the description of the film. It sounds like it could be hard to infiltrate, but I found it was really a very easy watch. It didn't, it didn't get me totally excited. I think you probably were a little bit more, more excited, Cerise, than I was. But what what I found interesting about it was that 
it was very consistent with the whole kind of this milieu of nonsense going on that everyone was on the same page and I don't know how that the cast and crew managed to come together in such, you know, synergy, (laughs) with such synchronicity Um, because I can't imagine the pitch. I can't imagine how that was communicated to them. But it does seem like a very holistically bound film. It is. There is a real logic to it that is maintained. It's it's all the more extraordinary. She's a first-time feature filmmaker. She's young. I think she's only in her 20s. I saw her deliver a Q&A after the so screening amazing. of this in Cardovivari and she was, yeah, I, I was really blown away by her. I think um, she's going to be a huge talent. Likewise, one of the two mermaids, the actress uh, Michalina Olshanska, she's going to be huge. She's starring in another film at the festival. I don't know if you want to skip to one of the bleaker films in the program <laughs> quite so soon, but I, I also adored this film. In fact, I think this is a, a stronger film. Uh, I, Olga Hypnarova, a new Czech film, um, about uh, a very grim matter made all the grimmer given the events in Nice only a few weeks ago, which this film, uh, a true crime story, sort of foretokens uh, in a really eerie way. Uh, a young woman, 1973, mows down 20-odd pedestrians in uh, a street in Prague and um, became... Well, this isn't, is it a spoiler? It's in the program. But it leads to a court case, a famous one, with a very significant... Uh, outcome, um, the last of a certain sort of event to occur in what was then Czechoslovakia. And it's just an extraordinary film. It's very austere. Uh, it harkens back to um, cinema of some of the masters of way, way back in the day. Very unfashionable stuff. And we're talking about Carl Dreyer or Robert Bresson. But it really is of that ilk. And exquisite black and white cinematography. And this woman, uh, young Michalina Olshanska, is just, uh, I can't take your eyes off her. She owns the film. She's in, maybe she is in even every single scene. I'm casting my mind back because, again, I saw this a few weeks, which, actually a few months ago. Which mermaid was she? Serious? She's the brunette. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, she's extraordinary. I, I think she's going to be a massive star. Also, uh, in Olga Hypnarova, she's speaking Czech, not Polish. I mean, she can just go from language to language. She's just going to own the universe before. <laughs> Speaking you of, heard it here. <laughs> Speaking of intense European films, we've touched on mermaids already, but there's another mermaid-related underwater dark fantasy film by Cerise. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce her name. Can you? Lucille. Lucille. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, that one. I thought you were going to talk about another one because there's at least one more yet. How too, many goddamn mermaid films have we got this year, Miff? I'm thinking, um, I'm not going to say her name because you'll uh, mock Lucille me. Lucille H- Hudge. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've thrown me off my game. Lucille Hudge Halilovitz. Her remarkable film, Evolution. I saw Innocence in 2004 at Miff. Which made, I think I saw it with you, Cerise. I have this memory. Yeah. Very long, distant memory in the past. Yeah, Um, the forum. mm, Yeah. yeah. Um, Just an extraordinary film. And she's done one short since then called Nectar, which just played at the Queensland Film Festival. But it's taken her a while to get her second film out. And um, I think it was worth the wait. I don't know whether... I would attempt anything as feeble as making a comparison. Is it good or is, you know, is it better than Innocence or is it not? But um, I, found it, I found it really captivating. I think she's a really captivating filmmaker doing something really unique. There's a, she builds mythologies, almost sensory mythologies. So there's a very loose kind of narrative going on through this film. But I think it's a film where you experience what you don't know more than you do. 
and where innocence was focused on the, this sort of mystery world of little girls. Evolution is focused on this mystery world of little boys and the strange things that their bodies can do. Yes, yes. I, I haven't seen Innocence. So this is my introduction to, I'll call her Lucille because we're on first name basis. And um, I thought it was, yeah, beautiful, really elegant, minimalist film. Um, no clutter in any way in narrative or or anything like that. And the the kind of homogeny of the young boys... Um, even though Nicholas was the one brunette, really, they were mainly blondes, and that kind of um, the women who all had this similar look and that otherworldly kind of dilapidated world that they were living in, it was really hypnotic and really beautiful. And But then also at the same time, it was quite surgical, so there was... There's irksome, a coldness to her films yeah, that I find really fascinating. Yeah, very, there was, it was surgical in a number of ways, in tone <laughs> and in um, what was presented on screen. A bit needly for anyone who's a bit squeamish. Um, but, yeah, that really played into the, the, the thematic stuff of it. Um, so... Yeah, I think it would be. It falls under the category of what I call simply perfect cinema, hmm. if you know what I mean. Not trying to do too much, um, but saying so much within that simple format. Imagine if, imagine if boys could have babies. P.S. Mermaids. I mean, if oh, you would, is, that it, was, is that? I mean, is that too complex? <laughs> like, am I over? Uh, it's that's like if you were to pick it apart, you find so much in there. But that the, the actual presentation of the film is not like that, and that's clever yeah. cinema. She's gone. Really she's she's um, interesting interviews with her where she said that it's taken her so long to make this film because nobody really understands what it is that she's doing, yeah. and it's only been the last couple of years that she's met people like um, uh, Helen Catet and uh, Bruno Ferranzi, the Belgian directors who did A Mare in two thousand and nine, the Neo Gialli, yeah. and the Strange Color of Your Body's years in 2013 um, and she realised that there was, you know, there are people out there making what she calls a kind of sensory cinema, which was really yeah. what she's doing. She's much more interested in this sensory uh, materiality of film, I guess, more she's than... She's much more interesting than her husband. Very mm. different filmmakers. Than gets to make filmmaker, films but... quite regularly. Yes. <laughs> uh, Gaspar Noé we're speaking of there, uh, one of the great provocateurs sometimes a great filmmaker uh, she, with certain reservations. He, yeah, he has it in yeah. him to make a great film. He does. <laughs> she wrote Enter the Void with him. I think she so. worked with him on some of his earlier films yeah, too, I did. believe. They collaborated yeah. quite closely in the early days. Yeah, and uh, Hadja Halilovic also collaborated on, on Evolution with a, a Lithuanian filmmaker named, um, whose name escapes me at the moment, Alante Kvete or something Kvete. like that. Kvete. Yeah, yeah. she had a, a gorgeous film that screened at Queer Film Festival here this year called The Summer of Sangalai, a beautiful coming-of-age film in Lithuania's first queer film. And I, I, I sense her hand in the mix there somewhere as well, um, not so much in the area of the, the really mm, heavy... The, the sensory sort of stuff, the, the stuff that's more uh, not narrative-based of this film's mm. many assets, but more its mood and atmospherics. Um, I think she was probably more responsible for the earthbound stuff and Hadja Halilovic uh, more for the um, metaphysical, kooky and uh, really gender-fucking stuff in this <laughs> film, which is glorious. <laughs> Do you know, I have as many as two other mermaid type films that could actually even 
Yeah, if we want to keep along the, the mermaid thing, <laughs> which is just the weirdest motif to discover in a festival, or do we... Alex, yeah, no, go for do, it. Do, do, should we go there already? Two, well, one's a, a Czech animation, The Little from the Fish Shop, it's called, which is basically The Little Mermaid uh, as a puppet animation made immensely darker than the Hans Christian Andersen source material ever would have imagined. And it's it's just a thing of beauty. Uh Really interesting filmmaker. That the old school puppet animation stop motion can't make films terribly often because they take quite a while. <laughs> Got to fashion all those puppets and then move them one frame at a time. It's uh, hard work, I'm told. And it's a it's a gloriously dark animation with gorgeous um, just gorgeousness abounding. So long as you uh, do have a certain affinity for the dark side. If you think Disney's Little Mermaid was just a bit too well Disney, well here's the antidote. But that's also uh, my segue to talk about the film that has most destroyed me at the festival so far this year, which is a documentary, Life Animated, oh. um, about a young autistic man who sort of shut down as a child around age three or four to the complete uh, befuddlement of his parents, uh, who just wondered how they could possibly reach their son, uh, who nonetheless uh, carried on living, breathing and devouring Disney animations, including, of course, The Little Mermaid, uh, only for that to somehow eventually prove a means of communicating to his parents in the wider world what on earth is going on in his mind all along. He hadn't sort of just withdrawn. He just needed a means, uh, a framework to, uh, to, to, to order his thoughts and thus express himself. And this uh, documentary from uh, director Roger Ross-Williams, who's a guest of the festival um, and has at least one more screening where he'll be present and do a Q&A like he did uh, over the weekend. Um, it's just exquisite. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I, was, I was bawling my eyes out for half of this film and then alternately I was in, enjoying hysterical gales of laughter because it's just uh, a really beautiful uh, exploration of something very particular and yet something very universal and i adored this film i can't tell you in a very strange wow. way that fits very neatly in a film that i would like to touch on to lead into our next song which is laurie anderson's heart of a dog which um is certainly one of the highlights of my festival experience so far laurie anderson of course is a, a musician an artist and just an all-round superstar she's just a remarkable human being and she made this extraordinary documentary heart of a dog ostensibly about her love for her late dog but it moves into quite profound uh free reigning territory um it's 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 quite an extraordinary movie talking about grief and loss and identity um it combines some remarkable archive footage from her own life and her family her late partner uh, mr lou reed um and her beloved dog you're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Let's talk about Chantelle Ackerman's film No Home Movie. Chantelle Ackerman, the late Belgian director who very, very sadly passed away at the end of last year. Um, I don't even know where to begin to yeah, talk about this film. No Home Movie is, ironically perhaps, most simplistically, a home movie. Um about Ackerman having conversations with her late mother, Nellie, um, a Holocaust survivor um, who immigrated to uh, Belgium with her family. And it's about the conversation between these two women across uh, both within the house and also as Ackerman uh, travels 
Um, the title, however, No Home Movie, is works on many, many levels. This is a very, very moving, extraordinarily powerful film. How did you... Go? I'm still basically in <laughs> therapy, and I think I will be for a very long time. This beautiful I movie. I like that too. <laughs> yeah, it destroyed me. I, I had every intention of chasing it down with a... What I've heard is a wonderful Romanian miserable film afterwards, and I just you know, graduation, um, graduate. I, I just couldn't. Um, instead, I drank, yeah. drank up a storm at the festival club because what else can you do? I mean, this this film. Um, it depended also, I think, what knowledge you took into it of about Ackerman herself and the fate that befell her, uh, just as this film was had wrapped. Uh, but it's. Um, Oh, gosh, it's tough stuff. Um, uh, there's so much in this film is really not even about the two of them, but about absence and not least an opening shot, which seems to last you know, altogether too long. I mean, there's certain slow cinema conventions, but even then this is really pushing it, uh, just watching a pretty threadbare tree being windblown. I think it was four uh, minutes. Yeah. I yeah. think it was four, four, four and a half minutes yeah. or something. There was, uh, I was... Um, watching this and I, I reached a point where I, I was like, I don't know if the film stuck. Mm. Like it was, is this a technical, I think it's a shot through. There's a lot of shot through doorways. There's a yes. lot of shots of empty chairs. Yeah, there is. And yeah. I had that moment and, and it's like, I know Ackerman's work relatively well and it's like, I should know better. And even mm. I was like, is this a glitch? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, the following shot is an, another empty space, another empty outdoor space, but somewhere rather grassier, but still grim. Empty chairs. Empty yeah. chairs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then for all of the, the passages in the film which are actually quite light there's some really glorious stuff between mother and daughter uh, especially over Skype and the, the communication um, uh, difficulties that that sort of means of um, uh, corresponding in real time can present uh, often hilariously but not, no one knows quite how to end a conversation I've, I've been there any number of times myself We're just signing off it can be really difficult <laughs> But then even that ends up with all this great pathos attached to it, um, knowing that we are seeing a film uh, by a director that we knew to have died uh, about um, her relationship with her mother, whom during the making of the film she surely knew was dying. And it's just, it's just devastating. Yeah, I, I found it. I found it devastating. I think devastating is a great word, Cerise. Um, I felt completely taken apart by this movie and I wasn't sure whether I brought personal experience, but I think a lot of people could bring personal experience. I mean, we've all had someone that we love who's passed away. Um, I particularly had someone elderly like, like her and a woman as well. Um, what I found really concerning and it kind of got more and more towards the end uh, I say this with trepidation because she, she did take her own life. When we say that she died, she did take her own life. And um, I could see it coming through the film because I felt that so many artists use art as therapy, whereas this was more of a case of art getting in the road of what she was meant to be doing. It wasn't, even though she was there filming and uh, it, she wasn't present in what needed to happen and I could see how she would be looking back at what transpired during this film, the filming of this film, and think, oh, my God, 
you know, I miss that. I miss that. And even though there wasn't like, this was not a tragic relationship, it wasn't a relationship that needed repairing. And that's probably where it was very devastating as well. It was full of love. Um, but she couldn't be there and there was these moments with her mother where I was actually not entirely sure whether her mother was totally complicit in in the making of the documentary. She seemed to be sort of more like, well, this is what Chantel does. I don't, mm. I don't actually really know what she does. Um, and there was a lot of talk about... I don't understand. I, I know, oh, she tells me what she's doing, but she doesn't really tell me, you know, which was, that yeah. was really heartbreaking this, to hear this, that sort this of thing. very strange grey area between presence and absence in this yeah, film that absolutely. becomes quite meta, I think, yeah. when thinking about Ackerman's own life and yeah, yeah. extraordinary, just so difficult conceptually, let alone emotionally, to really grasp I mean, like like Ackham's films, they're all about space and time. You know, these these gaps and spaces in between things that happen. You know, so much of her cinema is about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Another um, another last film that uh, was I've, I found very moving, but obviously in a very different way, is the last Andrei Zulovsky film, Cosmos. Um, which, in comparison, is quite an upbeat, perky little. <laughs> Number and he he died in very different circumstances. Still very still very sad, but um, certainly not um, uh, different from Ackerman um, and a different mm. filmmaker in many many ways from Chantal Ackerman. Um, Cerise, what did you think of Cosmos? Uh, I, I wish I hadn't been as fatigued as I was when I watched it just last night because it's uh, it's an adaptation of uh, a book by a Polish author whom I'm not acquainted with, but I gather is if not a, an actual card-carrying surrealist, a fellow traveller. And certainly watching this, I was very aware of a, a huge amount of wordplay going on, which must have been a nightmare to translate from, say, Polish to French to English. Uh, I, I noticed a credit there that uh, as this, that they rolled, uh, Daniel Bird. Daniel Bird, Bird I yeah, noticed that as well. The, the great champion of the great Polish filmmaker of the 20th century for mine, Valerian Podovchik. I'm glad that you noticed that too. I had a nice little warm yeah. moment when I saw Bird's name there. Yeah, I did. Um, uh, but still, I, I don't know exactly what I took away from the film because I was not in it as much as I wanted to be. Mm. I'd had a gruelling first few days of the festival. <laughs> and yeah, Those Grey Goose cocktails are still... <laughs> well, yeah, but some of these films too had been heavy uh, yeah. and some of them had been heavy and yet joyous, uh, complex, the whole gamut of the uh, human condition, the uh, emotional <laughs> terrain traversed already in five or six films only and we see, some other shenanigans. Uh, we see that range of emotion in, um, I think, one of the more... Uh, one, certainly one of the more interesting retrospective programs uh, this year is the Setsuko Hara series of films. Uh, she was uh, Ozu's muse, uh, Yasujiro Ozu's muse. She died last year. And there's a beautiful series of her films. There's um, the ones that have leapt to my eye, uh, Tokyo Story, Late Spring and Early Summer. Um, and I've, I've not yeah, seen any of them yeah. on the big screen. Uh, and I can't, I, it, may, it may blow my mind. You've been warned. I, f I saw them, um, that was, I think, Ozu's the set uh, film studies, uh, you, you know, the first thing, first director they roll out for you to have a look at. So I saw the, I've seen him on the uh, university big screen, if you, if you like to put it that way, which is... <laughs> the a, projector screen. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one. And they are just beautiful films like Works of Stillness and she, you know, um, she's just luminous. She's just gorgeous. Another series I'm really excited about because it includes one of my all-time favourite films is Gaining Ground, 
um, a focus on women filmmakers in New York in the 1970s and 1980s. I am talking about, of course, Elaine May's A New Leaf. <laughs> I was wondering whether you were going to pick that one out of that. It's I was wondering there's, too. There's an yeah. extraordinary series of films here. Um, Born in Flames, I really, if you get a chance to see Born in Flames, if you've not seen it, if you don't know anything about this film, it's, it's loosely a kind of science fiction dystopian film. Um, very political. Catherine Bigelow is in it as an actor, a very young Catherine really? Bigelow. Wow. Um, it's, it's, there is no political subtext. This is hardcore, angry, in your face text. What happens if you don't know what happens in the last couple of minutes of this film? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. If you know nothing about this film, don't look it up. Go and see it. It's, it's, if you, I, I have a hang up with films that could never be remade. I'm really fascinated at the idea of films that could never be remade now. Born in Flames could not be remade now. It is an extraordinary document. Um, Smithereens is another really favourite one of mine by Susan Settleman, who did Desperately Seeking Susan. It's like the the dark side of Desperately Seeking Susan. (laughs) I've never seen that. I don't actually know anything very much about that film at all. It's it's brilliant. It's got uh, Richard Hell from uh, Richard Hell and the Voivodes in it. Um, it's, It's a very similar story in a way to Desperately Seeking Susan, which is obviously her more famous film. But um, it's much, much more low budget. And you know, Susan is Madonna and she's enigmatic and she's this kind of free, wild spirit. Uh, So is the protagonist of Smithereens, but in a very... The results are very different for her because she's not Madonna. It's it's an extraordinary film. There's really, really nothing like it. So a new leaf. Oh, let's talk about a new leaf. (laughs) I love a new leaf. I love it. I love Elaine May. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Wow. Look, you know... I watched it. My husband was was there to see it as well, and he said she's hot. I don't get this, you know, this not you know kooky sort of no one wants her type character. He goes, she's hot, and she is. Um, I mean, she's she. The thing about this film is that it is it's so light. It plays out so light yet. When it comes down to it, there's potential homicide about to take place, and um, it's so incredibly romantic and I love romantic films romance where it comes out of unexpected circumstances and this is really romantic yet I look at it and think he's revolting Walter Mashow is, is <laughs> quite extraordinary in this film like you don't think of him as a as a romantic lead no. and he's a horrendous character he's awful and he's, just he's awful. not the, he's not normally the kind it's not the character that you see as a romantic lead no and it's all about him wanting to marry for money so yes. he can kill his wife and she's and so the relationship is a fraud. Yet I thought, why is this so romantic? And it's because of Eli May. She actually drives it. She drives the romance. She has almost a romance by herself in it because of what she imagines she has. And you know, um, and that that permeates the whole film. And it's really, it's just really beautiful. Speaking <laughs> of romance. Anybody see the Love Witch in the Night Shift series? The wonderful Annabella and her Not demented yet. film, The Love Witch. It's, Am I on, on, my it's own on, on my list. It's on my list. That's a special treat. Yep. I strongly yep. recommend. Anna was out here in two thousand and eight, two thousand and seven. Viva, oh, Viva, Viva. Yeah. which is uh, which she acted in as well. She's a Renaissance woman. She edits. She directs. She she sews curtains. She Aren't does everything. All? She's just an extraordinary <laughs> woman. All right. I was going to say, no, let's, let's not just move on quite so quickly. I saw that too and I had a ball with it. When, <laughs> tell, me, but tell me your thoughts on The Love Witch. Oh, it's so pretty. 
It's so. beautiful, isn't it? It's a kind of. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me aesthetically, I think, um, of the Stepford Wives. It has oh, that kind totally. of, and I think it's it's a conscious nod to the Stepford Wives. But there's so much uh, nodding going on to, especially late '60s, early '70s, exploitation cinema. Even to lifting some Ennio Morricone soundtracks, some lovely easy listening tunes from uh, sleazy Italian cinema of that period and wholesale and just planting them in this film. It works perfectly. It makes perfect sense. I, uh, I found this hysterically funny at it's, times. It's, it's one of those films that you think you could almost be mistaken for thinking it's a fluffy, dumb film because it's so funny. It's just There's just great comic timing and it's silly and light. But there's so much going on. It's so smart. And I think it takes extraordinary in- extraordinary intelligence to have that kind of light spirit but deep intellect working at the same time. And Very to, interesting to balance. And cram all those aesthetic pleasures in mm. there as well. Good it's, tampon it's, joke too. We can say that. It's, it's, it's a lady, it's a lady <laughs> yeah. cave. We yeah. can yeah. bring that. Yeah. Just among us women. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a big screen film as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. It's shot on 35. She mm. um, she likes her materiality. Beautiful. She likes the texture of film. Anna Billa. Hats off. Three, triple, ah. Two films this year um, concerning the real-life story of a woman called Christine Chubbuck who very famously uh, shot herself on live television uh, as she was a news anchor in 1974. Two films came out this year, both played at Cannes, I think both debuted at Cannes, about Christine Chubbuck. Um, she, her legacy, I guess, in fictional film goes back to Network, famously influenced by the Chubbuck incident and uh, less well known but I think just as important is Joe Dante's The Howling. The End of The Howling has a very explicit um, or very maybe not explicit, but a clear reference to, to Chubbuck. So we have a film called Christine by Antonio Campos starring Rebecca Hall, which is a straightforward biopic, which asks the question, what happened? And then we have Kate Plays Christine uh, by director Robert Green, who was a guest of the festival, uh, which is a docudrama which, instead of asking what happened, asks the question, why are we so fascinated with what happened? The interesting thing, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about the Chubbuck story, but the footage uh, allegedly is, is gone. It's missing. Um, every now and then there are rumours that it still exists, but this footage has never... It's not on Rotten.com. It's not publicly... You can't YouTube it. It's not out there. Um, it's been protected, even if it still exists. Kate Plays Christine, I, I'm... It just... Just blew me away. I, I can't... It's, it's certainly my favourite film of the year so far. I don't know what I could possibly see to outdo it. Um, it, it was just the most powerful film... I've seen in ages. It, it follows Kate Lynn Scheel. The Kate of the title is the actor Kate Lynn Scheel, a kind of indie darling who's an extraordinary performer. Mm. Um, and the film follows her researching uh, Chubbuck and, and going through the process of taking on the role, getting a spray tan and where, yeah. buying a wig and just her working, meeting people that knew Chubbuck. Well, um, she, when, when she starts it, she hadn't actually even seen any footage of um, uh, Christine moving or doing anything. Or talking so on her gestures. No, talking in her gestures. So it was kind of about her putting all of that together. I think that, I think Robert Greene's done that before in Actress, Actress. hasn't he? Because it's, it's a really, I think that's such a great idea to explore as a documentary, the, um, an actor's process of learning. Because, because an actor has to really 
walk in the shoes of someone to take on the role, or some actors will, some others won't quite as much. But um, it's just a really interesting way of putting a documentary together. And I think that that idea, like you said, about the fascination with... um, Christine Chubbuck. Uh, it was sort of about how she is that that morbid fascination in her, yet she's also being forgotten as well. So it was it was really this whole documentary was around this idea of um, finding meaning in it, and is there meaning in what she did? And really, they came up with no, you know, and that was an interesting thing to 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 go through. The, end, the, the ending of this person. film has been quite divisive. I, I, I adore it. Like, I really yeah, like this amazing. film and I was not... The, where this film went took me to somewhere that... After, to be honest, I wasn't a fan by any stretch of, of Christine, the biopic. I was extremely disappointed. I thought it was a TV movie melodrama. And like I said, it's just asking what happened. I thought that it was a bit simplistic. There was nothing in it. There was no self-reflexivity about making a movie about Christine Chubbuck. Whereas that's all that Kate Plays Christine was. It was very self-aware that this is about screen media and representation, whereas Kate, uh, Christine wasn't that at all. So Kate Plays Christine for me was like a, an antidote yeah, um, yeah, to yeah, Christine. Exactly. Oh, look, I haven't seen either. I'm, I'm seeing one of them tomorrow, the evidently more interesting-sounding <laughs> one. Um, but it, it, nonetheless, I, I think that sort of programming is always very interesting where there are two films. As, I mean, maybe it's just partly a function of pure coincidence. Mm. But uh, Apparently it is in this case. Yeah. Apparently they didn't know that the other was being made, which I find yeah. amazing. But yeah. nonetheless, it's still there's a, a curatorial decision being made to mm. program them both and let them bounce off one another, much as at least five, maybe even six films are all oh, bouncing mermaids. off one another about the hot topic of... We are running out of time, so let's. I just really want to quickly give a couple of shout outs to some films that you have to go and see Handmaiden, the new Park Chan Wook film based on Sarah Waters' novel Fingersmith from 2002, one of the best films in the festival this That's year. That's on my list. That's gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. Matthew Ross's Frank and Lola with Michael Sh- uh, Michael Shannon and Imogen Poots. I just like saying Imogen Poots. <laughs> I like saying Imogen um, Poots. <laughs> Imogen well. Poots. Frank and Lola blew me away. Um, really, really impressed me. Uh, Long Way North is playing in the Next Gen program. That's just a gorgeous animation. Um, not getting a lot of hype and I can't for the life of me figure out why. The WTF shorts you have to go and see if only for a film that goes for four minutes called The Procedure. Trust me on this. <laughs> it's a it's a silly, dirty, wrong, brilliant little four minutes. What, it's what very matter good. of procedure is I it? can't. It's a spoiler, but mm. it's it's a very important thing. You will thank me. You will thank me. <laughs> and the Southeast Asian shorts, um, just, I mean, there's films from uh, Indonesia, Thailand, Taiwan, and the Philippines. I don't know a lot about all of those particular national cinemas. I want to know more. Well, I do like that there's a Filipino short in the program as well as a Lav Diaz eight-hour spectacular. I think that. Lav Diaz made up <laughs> yeah. the entire need to have a lot of other yeah. Filipino films. Yeah. Um, I didn't sign up for that particular experience. I still haven't quite gone there. I've never quite marshaled up the courage to commit quite that uh, period of time for the one screening. It gives me the fear even thinking about it. The serious heebie-jeebies. So what else are you guys looking forward to? How do we feel about Jerry Lewis, folks? I'm, I'm at home really to Mr Lewis. Yeah, very excited. I could have filled up a whole mini-pass with just Jerry Lewis films. Mm. 
I've always had a profound ambivalence towards him because I always found his screen persona grating in the extreme. And then uh, coming more of a sort of cinephilic age and, and knowing especially how much the certain French critics of a particular generation just adored him as a filmmaker, not just getting beyond that screen persona, though still inclusive of it, and sometimes of multiple personas in some of these films that he adopts. Uh, I'm going to have to go there and, and challenge myself to, to reconsider some hard-worn prejudices I've built up over years of being uh, irritated by the likes of him and, and, and other people who mug too much for, on the camera, like Jim Carrey, who I came to like in certain films with enough passage, passage of enough time. I love you, Philip Morris. I do love you. I love you, <laughs> Philip Morris. Genius. The, I mean, the Jerry Lewis program is... is just beautiful. I mean, uh, The Bellboy, which I think was his first directorial film. It's his first, film. yeah. 1960. I, you watch that and, it's, yeah. and uh, you know, certainly um, uh, Ladies Man in particular, you watch it and you're just like, okay, I get why the French are, are kind of really into <laughs> They're so French. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. They're so French. I mean, The Bellboy is really gorgeous. It's um, yeah, the, the look of it, the, the poly... I mean, he's a great director. It's almost a silent film, really. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, it's very... I mean, there's even... Mm. I was watching... Oh, I can't remember one of his films. I think it's uh, Smorgasbord. Has yeah. a slippery floor gag, like a full-on Jacques Tati slippery floor gag. Like he's obviously aware of this heritage that he's a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're beautiful. I mean, Ladies Man is a beautiful. It looks like a, a Jacques Demy film. It's a, the color in these films are just. Beautiful. Yeah, I've seen there's a lot of 35 mil prints here, so that already makes it a bit mm -hmm. extra special. So I will go see some, and I dare but, say we'll pick up this thread in a week's time. Have you seen the Nutty Professor? Well, way back in the day, only on television. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, All again, right. it just. Yeah, I mm. actually feel guilty seeing that at Miff because I've seen it so many times, and I own a copy at home, and I watch it over and over again, but I've never seen it on the big screen, and it's just a comfort film. It's, it will make you feel so happy. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've given myself license and to And how does it, it compare to the uh, Eddie Murphy remake? <laughs> <laughs> just <keep> be next. <laughs> Before we finish up, we're running out of time, but I think there's one particular national cinema, going back, I think, to our women filmmakers, oh, a yes. film called Chevalier. Yes, um, that everybody film. has to go and see. Like, just, it's amazing. It's we amazing. A feminist film with no women in it. Wow. Yes. How does that work? Ah, you must so, see it. It's a, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, described it as a mix of Deliverance and The Five Obstructions, which I think is just <laughs> the most perfectly random, but insane... But it better be on the poster. But, but, but feminist. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just an extraordinary film. She's a really good filmmaker, uh, Athena Rachel Sangari. Sangari, yeah, she did um, Attenberg as well, mm -hmm. but she's part of that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos group. So-called Weird Wave. Weird, weird Wave, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So she was a producer on Dogtooth, I think. I mean, it's uh, Chevalier is just a bunch of guys on a boat playing a game where they outdo each other. Who is the best guy, I think, the is basically the general. premise. The best, in, the best general. in general. It's a very simple premise, and the politics that unfolds in this film is just insight into a world that I am unfamiliar with. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, who's the best at uh, uh, assembling IKEA furniture? <laughs> that was great. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you for joining us for our very manic and suitably manic Lady Cave. Do we not have something to plug that we're involved with at Miss Oh Saturday my goodness me, we do too, we do too. Well I'm glad you mentioned that. Cerise and I are on a panel uh, next Saturday at, I've lost the page. 4.30pm <laughs> uh, in the Cube. In the Cube at, at Acme. Acme. We are on a panel called What Next Cinephilia with uh, the great Jonathan Rosenbaum who's in town for the Critics Campus. Shout out to my 
peeps at the Critics Campus. Uh, David Jenkins, the editor of Little White Lies, Connor Bateman from 4-3 Film, and Cerise and myself. We will all be talking things cinephiliacal. That's yeah. not even a word. It sounds like a disease. It does. Um, okay, <laughs> Cosmos, next screening, 3rd of August. Uh, Kate Plays Christine is tomorrow. Uh, Christine is the 6th and the 12th of August. Life and uh, Heart of a Dog, the 3rd and the 7th. No Home Movie is on the 7th. Evolution, you can see again on the 3rd. Uh, Gaining Ground Program, look them all up and see them. The Setsuku Haru uh, Program, again, look them all up. Night Shift, which had The Lure and Love Witch. The Lure, you can see on the 5th and 10th. Love Witch on the 11th. Um, and the next-gen films, uh, Long Way North is on the 4th of August. WTF shorts are on the 13th of August. And the Southeast Asian shorts are next on the 13th of August. Yeah, Life Animated is on the 2nd and the 12th. I, Olga Hypnotova is on the 3rd and the 13th. And Little from the Fish Shop on the 6th and the 13th. Go and see all these beautiful films. Are, are Thank we you. posting some of these details online? They will all or, be yeah. on our social she media. She didn't actually have to listen no, to any of that. Just, I love the excitement. I love rambled. the urgency of yeah. it. Thank you for joining us all at Plato's Cave in the Lady Cave. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Siri. Thank you, Nerida. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Have a good myth. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.